The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Let's come on back. As Dan told you earlier, Tab is gone for a couple of weeks. And um, so this morning, my name is Rick. You get me. And uh, next week, uh, you, you get Dan, fortunately. So I'm one of the elders here, and I have the privilege to bring God's word to you today. And today, we're, gonna, we're going to continue our series in Exodus. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please turn to Exodus 5.22. Exodus 5.22. Now, if you remember what Tab told us last week, we picked this story up where God's people are still in Egypt. And things are not going well. Moses met with Pharaoh and demanded that he let the people go. And instead of doing that, Pharaoh punished them by putting an impossible burden on them. So this breaks the spirit of the people, and they blame Moses. Today, we're going to see how Moses responds to that and what God plans to do about it. Before we read, let's pray, and then I'll ask Joe to come up and read the passage to us. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us today, we ask that you open our eyes. Show us your truth. Open your word to us and open us to your word. Amen. Joe, would you come and read? Exodus 5, through 6, 13. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of, this, out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a great axe of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God." And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his, hand, of his land. 
But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me, for I am of circumcised lips? But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Thank you, Joe. Here we go. This is an exciting time. And such must have been an exciting time for Moses. He came back to Egypt as a hero. He showed the people miraculous signs that convinced them that God had met with them. And God, he was going to free them. They believed him, and there was celebration in the camp. And then it didn't happen. In fact, the meeting with Pharaoh goes really badly. <clears throat> Pharaoh is angry, and he decides to teach the Hebrews a lesson. He increases their workload, and he beats them when the quotas aren't met. Their misery is doubled. The people, they blame Moses. Why did you come back here? Are you trying to get us killed? Moses feels deflated, discouraged, and frankly, he feels deceived by God. This is not what he expected. Let's hear from Moses in his own words in verse 22. Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you, you have not delivered your people at all. Moses is asking serious questions here. God, what are you doing? Why did you do this to me? When everything goes wrong, and life is not what we expect, don't we ask the same questions? What happens when there's an unexpected death, a strained or broken relationship, when we experience injustice, when our kids are struggling, or, or maybe we can't conceive children, when the diagnosis is bad? And, and, and then what about our daily struggles, our daily struggles with anxiety and depression or chronic pain? Does God even care? Moses is asking these questions. He's asking the question we all ask when everything seems to go wrong. God, can I trust you? Can I trust what you're doing? Can I trust how you're doing it? And lastly, can I even trust who you are? As we work through this passage, we're going to see God answer all three aspects of trust. And hopefully, hopefully this story will help to strengthen our faith and trust in a God who is good, a God who is for you. Let's start. Let's start with God's character. 
Moses implies here that God has deceived him, that God has done evil, and that he doesn't care. Now, none of these things are true, but sometimes aren't we tempted to think the same? Moses is questioning, who is God? Really? And in our darkest hour, we might ask the same question. So God is going to speak now and show us why we can trust his character. We trust God's character. Verse 2, he says, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I am the Lord. Seems like an obvious place to start. I am God is the ultimate answer to any question of who are you. But he's making a point here. He's making a specific point about his name. He wants to show a difference between the name he used with the patriarchs and the name he's using now. In the past, God appeared as God Almighty. In Hebrew, El Shaddai. The sense of that name is that God is all-powerful. He makes promises and has the power to keep them. El Shaddai, God Almighty. Now the Lord, the Lord's a different name. When you see the Lord and you see it in all capital letters in your Bible, it means that he's using the name I am. The great I am is all powerful, just like El Shaddai, but he is more. He is a being who is always present, even outside the constraints of space and time. And that presence is what's important here. It's more personal, more personal to the people. God says, verse five, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. When life doesn't, work out the way you expect when hard things come and you cry to God and you tell him of your pain, God says, I know, I hear you, I'm with you. Does that sound like a God who's evil? Does that sound like a God who would deceive us? He makes his intent clear with his name. The great I am will save his people and he will be with them. This is important, so I'm going to say it again. I am will save his people and he will be with them. See, th this world, this world is not operating in the way that God intended it. God created this world and then every part of this world was corrupted by sin after God created it good. Our bodies, our relationships, every particle of this universe has been corrupted 
in an evil way that it tends to harm you. When a tornado, a hurricane, or an earthquake hits, what do we commonly say? That it's an act of God. But the truth is, the truth is that without the, pow the power and grace of God, these disasters would be happening every day, every hour, every minute, every second. Evil wants to destroy. Unchecked evil would cause pain and misery to everyone all the time. If God pulled his presence away from this world, our lives would consist only of suffering and misery. So isn't it ironic that we blame our problems on God? When God is the very person who holds back evil and present, prevents constant misery. Now, when, when hard times come, we naturally react like Moses, don't we? Why God? Why me? I don't deserve this. This is all your fault. You haven't delivered your people at all. Now, the truth is, the truth is that beauty, love, and justice only have room in this world because of the power and grace of God. And then when we come to God with our pain, he says, I know, I hear you, I am with you. And that's the character of God. The great I am shows his character by what he does. Now I wonder, if we really believe this, if we really believe this and remembered this all the time, would it change the way that we pray? Maybe instead of blaming God and saying like Moses, you haven't delivered your people at all, we might say instead, we are grateful for your character and your grace to us, but we are in pain. Please, God, just a little more grace. Now, I, I know I know what some of you are thinking. Sure, okay, okay, I get it. I see the source of evil. I trust the character of God, but isn't God sovereign? He is fully in control of everything. And there is still suffering and evil happening to me that he did not hold back. So why? Why does God choose to hold back some suffering and allow others? Why did God allow my suffering? Honestly, no one can explain every instance of suffering or evil that God allows. That's something we're just going to have to ask him when we see him. But still, 
God asks us by faith to trust that he's good and that his plan is good. And he provides this passage here. This passage here shows us an example of why we can trust God's plan. And as we walk through the passage, we can see the goodness of God in this plan. But honestly, it's only because we know the ending, right? It's harder when we don't know the ending. Moses doesn't know how this will end, so Moses has become cynical and angry. I did what God asked, and the people are not free. In fact, the people are suffering. They're suffering more, and they're blaming me. What kind of plan is this? God, I don't know if I can trust you. So God, by his grace, is going to show Moses his plan. He's going to show him that despite all appearances and because of God's character, we can trust God's plan. Trust God's plan. Starting in verse 6. God gives us seven promises, seven I will promises. And they can be grouped into basic promises that describes how the great I am plans to save his people and be with them. There is a promise of redemption and freedom. There are three I wills here. Follow me in verse six. I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. The Lord, I am, is going to save them. He will redeem them and free them from slavery. Now, now redemption, redemption is a financial term. Slaves in this world had value. And someone had to pay a price for them to be free. So I ask you, who paid the price here? Pharaoh did. Pharaoh paid the price for these slaves to be free. God caused Pharaoh to suffer so much that he demanded that the Hebrews leave. And losing that workforce was costly to him. Many historians believe that the Hebrew exodus devastated the Egyptian economy. And the Egyptian culture never recovered. God says, I will redeem you and I will set you free. Then there's another promise. A promise of adoption and inheritance. And there are four I wills here. Verse 7. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for a possession. Again, I am the Lord. 
This is the first time he tells, he tells Israel that he is adopting them as children. And isn't, isn't it fitting on Father's Day that the Lord I am, we come to this passage and the Lord I am says, I will be with my people and I will be their father. As a father, he's giving them an inheritance in a land they did not earn. God is not just moving them from one location to another. He will be with them, and they will be his people. He will be their father. See, God, God doesn't just want the Hebrew people to trust him for taking the land. He wants the Hebrew people to trust him also for keeping the land. That's part of his plan. See, God sees into the future and knows that powerful empires will threaten his people. They will threaten to take the land and again enslave them. God wants them to remember what he did to Pharaoh. He wants them to remember that. So when trouble comes, they will trust God to keep their inheritance and trust God to keep them free. That's the bigger purpose that Moses doesn't understand. He doesn't see it. See, Moses wants to see this generation saved, but God's plan is to save all generations. Let me say that again. Moses wants to see this generation saved, but God's plan is bigger. God's plan is to save all generations. That's amazing. But his purposes are even bigger than that. Bigger than that. His salvation plan for Israel foreshadows what Jesus is going to do 1,000 years later. Jesus, speaking to a new generation of Hebrews 1,000 years later, says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth, the truth shall set you free. Freedom. The Hebrews were confused. They heard this and they said, we are offspring of Abraham, they said, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. Then Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. Now, they don't quite understand that Jesus is talking about freedom, a, freedom, a spiritual freedom, a freedom from sin and death. But they know the name I am. Jesus used the name of God from Exodus 6 to tell us that Jesus will save us and that Jesus will be with us. 
God's plan for salvation is revealed in Exodus 6 comes true for us in Jesus. Redemption and freedom. Remember that redemption, it has a price. And the price for redemption of sin, sin was ultimate. Jesus paid that for us through his death on the cross. And in doing so, he frees us from slavery to sin. Paul says that Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this evil age. And while we're here on earth, we are freed from sin, but not entirely from the effects of sin. And that's why there's still so, still so much suffering and pain in this world. But someday, someday we will be free from all of it. We will be free from all of it because of Jesus. Adoption. Galatians 3 tells us of our adoption. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Inheritance. 1 Peter 1 tells us that through the resurrection of Jesus, we receive an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. See, God's plan was way bigger than Moses could ever imagine. His plan is that the good news of, of Christ will save you. But the question still remains. Will you trust God's plan? I don't know, maybe, maybe you're visiting today and this is the first time you've heard the good news of Christ. Or maybe you've heard it before and today it just lands on you a little bit differently. Young people, I'm glad you're here today. Some of you have been with us a long time and you've not entirely trusted Christ for your salvation. Well, if you're hearing this today, know that you can now. Right now, where you sit, young or old, this offer from the great I am to save you and be with you forever, well, that offer is for you. We've shown you today that the problem of evil, injustice, and suffering that's in this world has its root in sin. We have a good God who holds back much of that evil from us and made a plan for you to be completely free from sin. That plan comes through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and was resurrected from the grave. He provides a place in God's family and an inheritance in heaven waits. An inheritance in heaven awaits anyone who trusts God and believes savingly in Jesus. So turn to Christ now. He promises that he won't turn away from you if you do. Returning to the passage now, Moses. Moses told the people of God's plan for their salvation. But did they listen? No. Verse 9 tells us that their spirit was broken by the harsh conditions of their slavery. Moses also feels broken. 
In fact, Moses is saying, God, why did you even send me? The people won't listen to me. How is Pharaoh going to listen to me? Why me? Why did you choose me to represent you? I think you made a bad decision. It's a bad choice. I'm a bad choice. This passage describes one of the lowest points in Exodus. The people feel broken. Moses feels broken. And it looks like Pharaoh is winning. But God, but God, the great I am, the one who will save his people and be with them, he says, trust my way. Trust my way. He's going to renew his charge to Moses and Aaron. Verse 13, but the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. God says, no, Moses, I made the right choice. You and Aaron are my representatives. This is my way. And just to explain why God's way is the right choice, he gave us a, a genealogy. I, 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 honestly, I, I got to this point in the passage and I said, huh? He's going to explain this now with a genealogy. And I'm scratching my head. We find ourselves at the lowest point of Exodus and God decides that this is a perfect time for a bunch of names. Why? Why? Why is this here? Not only is this a strange place to put a genealogy, but this genealogy is weird. It's incomplete. Now, I didn't ask Joe to read this because I thought that would be torture for you <laughs> and torture for Joe. <laughs> he thanked me for not asking him to read that uh, today. Um, so instead, I made a chart and I put it on the back of your outline in case you want to look at it later. You can follow me either on the chart or in your Bibles. It doesn't matter. Uh, the, the points are the same. I want you to notice first, why is this here? First, that the sons of Jacob are listed in birth order. Reuben, Simeon, Levi. Wait, he stops at Levi. Aren't there 12 sons of Jacob? Why did he stop at Levi? And then he tells us how long three specific people lived and the names of the wives for three more. The ages and the wives being listed, they, they, they aren't present for anyone else. So what does this all mean? Well, the incompleteness and the extra detail only for certain people are all supposed to point us to something important. Something important in these names. The focus on this genealogy is on the family of Kohath. The descendants of Kohath 
were responsible for three rebellions against God and against Moses, the leadership of Moses and Aaron. These three rebellions are horrible. These three rebellions included sexual immorality, drunken mockery of their worship, and an attempted coup. So the genealogy, genealogy is supposed to remind us of how rebellious Israel is while God is still saving them. And then it points us to God's representatives, Aaron and Moses. Aaron, well, he reminds us of his golden calf. And Moses, well, Moses is currently telling God that he made a mistake when choosing him and is complaining and thinks that maybe God is evil. Wow, what a mess. What a mess. Are these the people that you would have chosen? They're not worthy. And that's the point. God is not saving these people because they're worthy, because they're good. They are not. God is saving this people because God is good. Let me say that again. He is not saving these people because they are good. He is saving these people because God is good. The great I am is saving his people and will be with a people who do not deserve him. And that's God's way. That's God's way. His way of salvation is dependent upon his goodness, not on ours. His leaders, Moses and Aaron, his leaders can't even follow his direction. Moses messed up the meetings with Pharaoh so many times. He forgot what God had told him and then blamed the whole thing on God. But God still ends this passage with Aaron and Moses. Verse 27, Aaron and Moses, they will represent me, bringing the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. At the lowest point of Exodus, everything is going wrong. God shows us the worst of these people and says, trust me, I'm saving them anyway. I will be with them. I am the Lord. I am. Now maybe today, maybe you're feeling unworthy of God or angry with God. Or maybe, like the Hebrews at this point in Exodus, you came in here with such despair that you didn't even hear any of this today. Maybe all you heard was Moses, God, Egypt, slavery, bunch of Bible stuff, something about a plan, whatever. Do you feel defeated? Do you feel like there's no hope? Yeah, you, you, are you listening now? Do you hear me? This is probably where, where, where you just woke up and said, what, what's he talking about? Hear this. 
God has a plan to save you. You don't feel worthy. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're in despair. But God's going to save you anyway. Because he's good. Because he cares for you. Bring your burdens to God. He is with you. He hears you. There are promises in this book. Believe them. Lift up your head just a little and find your hope in him. Even if it feels like everything is going wrong, Trust God. Let's pray. And as we pray, I'd like to invite Philip and the band to come back on stage and the servers to please come prepared to serve the the elements. Gracious Lord, we're so grateful for your power, your mercy, and your grace to us. It is by the wounds of your son that we are redeemed and set free. Thank you for what you have done to save us, to be with us, and to free us from sin. As we live in this fallen world and still endure suffering and pain, many here might feel burdened, distressed, or discouraged. For them, I pray that you might give comfort and provide just a little more grace. Help us to endure suffering well with faith and trust in you. Looking forward to the day when there will be no sadness or weeping. We're grateful for all of your mercies. Gracious Father, we had the opportunity this morning to take these elements. We thank you for this glorious picture of so great a love that Jesus, our Savior, loved us and gave himself up for his people. To position us before you holy and without blemish, Help us now to give thanks, believing this good news as we take the bread and the cup together. It is in your son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray all these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.